It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That, of course, is 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show David Dazois, and he is a professor and director of clinical psychology in the graduate program in the Department of Psychology at the University of Western Ontario. And we're going to be talking to him about an article he wrote in The Conversation, and that is how to deal with COVID fatigue. Oh yes, that's been setting in all over the place. People are uh, dealing with the the fatigue of the situation that has been going on for some time. And I guess it's going to continue for a little while longer because even though we are seeing uh, the fact that, that the vaccines are now coming out and they will be uh, coming and distributed, it's going to take some time before they do get distributed across the country and everyone can actually get vaccinated that chooses to or if, if they actually mandate it for everyone to take part in. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, dealing with COVID fatigue. Um, We're all dealing with it. Yeah, yeah we are in, in many different ways. Um, is, is COVID fatigue what we're actually dealing with though is it is the is it the situation or is it the the time frame are they are they different um well i think it's a bit of both um i think as the pandemic has continued on you know understandably we're all getting a bit weary of of wearing masks and Mm. you know sanitizing and keeping our distances and so on so i think part of it is related to just the longevity of, of the pandemic and and, uh, you know, it starts to wear on us. But I think part of it also is, um, you know, there. I think there are some psychological variables that contribute to why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. What do you mean by psychological variables? Well, I think things that are affecting the way we think um, and behave, essentially. Um, one example is, you know, what, what happens when, we're, when we become anxious is we typically... Uh, experience this onslaught of physical symptoms. We have an increased heart rate. We have uh, more oxygen going to the main muscle groups of our body. Uh, We have increased sweating and so on. And those are really adaptive processes for when there's a true threat in front of us. Mm. Um, And what what it does is it allows us to sort of fight or Mm. get the heck out of there. Um, The fight or flight response. That's really adaptive for a true threat. And COVID is a true threat. Um, the problem, though, is, um, you know, the best way really to deal with anxiety problems is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what we do is we help people face their fears systematically. Uh, it's called exposure. And by exposing yourself to your fears, your anxiety goes down. You start to habituate or get used to it and you start to um, change your thinking about the risk. They, that's good for an anxiety problem, which is sort of an excessive view of of the threat or the threat may not actually be there. It's a double-edged sword though, because with COVID, this is a true threat. And what happens though is because we faced it again and again, our anxiety's gone down. We've gotten used to it, even though the threat is is very much there. Mm. And so we've sort of habituated in a in a bad way, in a sense. So I think that's part of what's going on. There are a couple of other variables contributing to that too but i think that's the main one is we've sort of gotten used to the fact that the alarm bell 
has has been ringing. Mm. You know, if I pull the fire alarm in a building, it rings just as loud whether there's a true threat or whether, you know, whether there's a real fire or not. Right. And our bodies do the same thing. The alarm system kind of goes off whether the threat is real or not. It's up to our brains to decide, okay, is this a real threat? With COVID, I think we need to kind of regain that sense of threat again because this is a threat. It's it's We're potentially... Uh, putting a lot of other people at risk if we're not careful and and doing what we need to do mm. in terms of the restrictions and social distancing and so on. Yeah, um, there's a number of things that come to mind when you, when you put it in those the perspectives. Certainly, in terms of remembering that it is a threat, but it isn't necessarily, like mm-hmm. you said, an immediate threat. In terms of, uh, I have to run away from this. It's more about getting your thoughts in order uh, to understand. Yeah. Okay, this is a threat. And the best way I can I can fight this threat is to follow the the examples of what I've been told on how to best protect myself and protect others around me. Um, it, right, and I think part of the problem is is that as you said, is the threat is a bit amorphous, right? Mm. We don't really we don't see it, and right. many of us don't. Even though the cases continue to increase, we don't. Many of us don't know people who have been directly affected, yeah. and so it's easy to sort of see that as something distanced from right. us. Yes, and it's easy. I think with with the alarm bell going off again and again and hearing news every day of this <clears throat> to become desensitized to that. You know, it's just like when you see those tragic pictures on World Vision mm. uh, of these, you know, poor kids starving in mm. Africa. Mm. You know, sadly, when we see that again and again, it's very easy to get desensitized to it. It's very true. You know, I also think about the cigarette packs when they first came out with those graphic images yeah. uh, that made people go, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't smoke, you know, mm-hmm. but you give a smoker two weeks, maybe three, and they're not even paying attention to those images anymore. So I think it's very easy for our brains to become desensitized to it. Our brains kind of crave novelty. And so we, we want sort of just things that are new and things that keep repeating, we start to desensitize to. Right. The other aspect of it, I think, is that we're social beings, right? Like, I think we're, you know, we're all social and we have this kind of biological need to be loved and to love and to connect. And, you know, we're wired that way. And Mm. so I think we, I think many of us are kind of, you know, we're not deliberately sort of weighing the pros and cons or the risks and benefits, but we are in a way, like in a way we're kind of saying, I think part of what's contributing to the COVID fatigue is many of us are, you know, tired of not of not seeing our loved ones, of distancing, mm-hmm. of not hugging, and so on. And so you start to, you know, you start to let your guard down a bit that way because we're so driven to connect with people. And I think that's that's also part of what's going on. Well, and when we think back to the beginning of COVID, when it started to impact us, and we started to get told about what we needed to do, about washing our hands, about sanitizing, about wearing a mask, about social distancing, all of those things that came into play. Uh, you mm-hmm. referenced that in your article, of course, as well, in terms of we we did that. We we all started to understand that was, but we didn't. We also didn't know what the threat was completely. We didn't know how bad it was going to get. We didn't know. We had a lot of unknowns at that point in time. So we were all doing That's this. That's right. Um, yeah. and, and that, then again, like you said, this is part of that whole fatigue that sets in. We start to let down our guard, and that's what happened. And I guess the other thing is that it, it also lessened, right? We came out of that first wave. It started to, to lessen a little bit in the summer months and, and things. So people got a little lax. I think that's that's exactly it. I think um, things were looking very promising, right? Mm. So at first, as you mentioned, we were 
really on guard. We were very concerned. We weren't sure what it was or how bad it would get. And then, I mean, it is bad, but, you know, I think after a while, we, as I mentioned, we get desensitized. And so the number of deaths and the number of cases, you know, it starts to kind of blur and we don't really, you know, in some ways we don't put a, an individual uh, picture behind that. You know, I think that's partly why CBC National had featured stories of individual families and so on that are suffering from this because mm. you start to lose, when you see number after number, you start to lose that perspective of, of the, the actual people suffering. But I think you're right. In the summer, what happened is, is things started to improve. We flattened the curve successfully. The, our country was doing extremely well uh, in flattening the curve. And then, you know, there was also the benefit of, of, um, you know, outdoor, nice weather, mm-hmm. we were able to get outside, we were able to socially distance um, and go for walks with people and meet outside. Now that things are, are cold, and it's, you know, it really is more, much more difficult to kind of socially distance outside in many parts of our country. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's become uh, more difficult. And I think you're right, we let our guard down, we became more lax, because we thought, hey, we've flattened the curve, this is great restrictions are lifting things are starting to move restaurants are reopening and so on and then it gives you a sense almost a false sense of security that oh yeah we're handling this okay you know we're we've turned that corner and yet of, of course the cases dramatically increased thereafter and and people started to uh you know recognize that wow we're, we're in trouble here <laughs> we need to start to play catch up a bit mm. you know i just heard uh that mayor nenshi from calgary was sort of saying basically that you know we're, we're nine months into this but we're likely nine months more before yeah. we can ever really consider taking off masks regularly i mean it's still a long time i yeah. mean i think part of the false hope as well is the idea that we um, you know, the, we've got good news about vaccinations that have mm. come out and they're starting to unroll that. And that's terrific. But for, for us to get herd immunity and for us to have enough people immunized, um, it's going to take quite a bit of time. And so we still need to stay the course. And that's exactly what we're facing here. We've, we've come a long way. It feels like we're, you know, nearing the finish line, but we, we you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We really mm. do have to kind of continue to uh, to you know be compliant and and do it even you know not for our own sake but mm. thinking about the, the greater good and thinking beyond ourselves i think is so important because you know we really there are people who are vulnerable and um you know whether it's elderly or people with you know immune compromised we, we need to really do that for other people and think beyond ourselves but also i think it's wise to think about even if you're just thinking about yourself you know this um virus has affected different people in different ways of mm. all ages you mm. know there's young kids who have died from it there's mm-hmm. so it doesn't seem like it's just people who are vulnerable we we all need to be careful yeah absolutely you're listening to element fm in toronto and ottawa that's 106.5 in toronto 95.7 in ottawa anywhere across the country if you download the radio player canada app type in one of those two coordinates as well as elmntfm and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day seven days a week my guest here on moment of truth is david desois and he is a professor and director in the clinical psychology graduate program in the department of psychology at the university of western ontario and it's a pleasure to have him on the show and talk to him about his article in the conversation about uh, how to deal with COVID uh, fatigue and what we're dealing with. Uh, David, what about, and I'm not sure if you can address this, um, 
mm-hmm. the people that are saying it's not as bad, you know, they're denying it. They don't want to wear a mask. They don't want to social distance. They, they, you know, they just want to go about their lives in in a normal fashion. Well, I, you know, in some ways, I think, you know, I think it's understandable that that people are feeling that way, and I think you get different perspectives on on pretty much anything. I think part of it is. Um, you know, I think it's it's being careful of our own mindsets, too. I think it's very easy in that kind of situation to have um, anger triggered. Hmm. Um, I know, you know, I, I get frustrated if I'm in Walmart or a grocery store or something, and I see someone walking down the the wrong way of, you know, you know, the opposite direction of the arrows. And I think, oh, it's so ignorant. Like, think about other people, you know. Um, and yet it's it's interesting how I think what happens when we're wired up and, and anxious um, is there, there's also a, an aspect of where anger can kind of trigger or frustration can trigger at other people. And, and part of that fight or flight response is, um, you know, also triggering things that prepare us to fight. Right. And so it, 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 it's triggering kind of those physical symptoms that allow us not just to feel anxiety, but to kind of that emotion of anger and, and responding to that. And so I think what happens when we're like that is our, our attention gets narrowed on on that individual or that threat or that that thing that's you know bothering you, and it's so easy to see that person without the mask or see that person going down the wrong way, and think oh you know and get so angry. And yet it's it's important to kind of step outside of our um, own kind of attentional narrow tunnel vision and see mm. that you know what actually most people are being compliant. Most people are wearing masks. Mm. Most people are doing the right thing. And it's, it's unfortunate that there are a select, uh, you know, small proportion, but a, a vocal minority mm. who don't wear masks and are anti-maskers and talk about their rights and so on. I mean, that is unfortunate because I think we need to, again, think of the common good. But I think we also need to not lose perspective and sort of see that actually most people are complying well and, um, you know, adhering to these restrictions. Right. In case people don't quite understand what we mean when when we're talking about caution fatigue, do you want to explain that a little more? Sure. I mean, I think caution fatigue is really just um, the idea that um, over time we've sort of let our guard down and and we've gotten used to the anxiety of it. So we're essentially we're just we're tired of being on guard. We're tired of being hyper vigilant or right. having to be so careful and pay attention to things. And so. It's easy over time to just let your your guard down and think, well, you know, I I haven't seen my folks for a while. Maybe I could, you know, uh, visit them, hug them, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it's those are times when I think also people who are more familiar to you, I think you feel are somehow less of a threat in terms of COVID. Right. But we have this kind of, you know, I think our minds see things differently that those who are familiar are less of a threat. Well, they may not be, right? They could be exposed as well. So we, we do need to kind of keep our guard up. But basically, COVID fatigue is that we're just tired of being aware and, and vigilant yeah. um, and keeping our alarm bell going. And right. so over yeah. time, we've become kind of exhausted by it. And then, of course, you, you talk about how cognitive therapy is one of the ways that people can deal with their fears. And one of the ways of doing mm-hmm. that is to to expose yourself to the fears in terms of confronting them and, and realizing that even though you might be feeling anxious about something, that you may not necessarily be threatened by it. And so 
like you said, that double-edged sword is there, right? About about understanding, uh, getting your thoughts in order to to completely understand what kind of a threat you're facing. I guess, correct? If it, exactly. So, so cognitive therapy is very successful for anxiety disorders. It's the treatment of choice mm. for anxiety disorders. And it doesn't really matter the type of anxiety. Mm. If you face your fears, you basically will get over your anxiety. So if you have a fear of elevators, if you go in an elevator regularly, you will get, you know, your fear will go down. If you have a fear of dogs or public speaking or whatever it is, um, you know, cognitive therapy works extremely well for, for doing that. But the problem is, as you said, it was, it's a double-edged sword. So we, we, get, we get used to kind of threats that are we're facing even though that is a dangerous thing so i think being evidence-based in our thinking sort of seeing the middle of the road helps both sides it helps people who are anxious to not um you know be so hyper vigilant really you know and mm. um you know i I, th- I know of people who you know put their groceries away uh, you know for several days if not weeks before they actually take them out because they're concerned and you know that's a bit overboard right right so i think with evidence-based thinking you can kind of align that more to what the real threat is but on the flip side you have people who are nonchalant about it and you know are really letting their guard down and not treating it uh covid with the respect that it it kind of deserves and so i think being evidence-based in your thinking that way is really important as well so that you can have a balanced view of what the risk is and and act appropriately you know anxiety has increased um uh, for because of covid i I, i'm on a a board of director of uh, an organization called mental health research canada and in which we've been running uh, polls across the country um in both languages and so several thousand excuse me several thousand people uh, where we're asking you know sort of how how is your anxiety now? How was it before? That kind of thing. And we're following them up. You know, we're following people and doing several polls. Actually, now we'll be, we'll be doing this fairly regularly every couple months or so uh, into 2022. And what we found in the first poll is that um, from pre-COVID to sort of when the pandemic kind of first hit, anxiety quadrupled. Um, it, it went, you know, in, for people who had high to extremely high levels of anxiety, that went from five to 20%. Wow. And so, you know, we're, we are really seeing a jump in anxiety and that level of the proportion of people who said their anxiety is high to extremely high has pretty much maintained, even though, you know, the restrictions in the summer were lifted, the weather was better when we did our second poll, anxiety seems to be, you know, of those who are high to extreme, mm. uh, seem to be pretty stable. And so it doesn't seem to be really case dependent. It mm. seems to be that, you know, when this first kicked, it, it, it is triggering anxiety. And part of that is that we, you know, we all like predictability, we all like control, and mm. we all want some degree of certainty. Right. When those, when, when there's more uncertainty, there's a lot more room for worry. Mm. And I think with COVID-19, you know, like you said, it's, you can't see it, you, can, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's a threat that we don't really understand. Mm. That is the perfect recipe for anxiety, because mm. you you have that mix of uncertainty, unpredictability, and uncontrol. Yeah. And yet there are things people can do. Can we, let's talk about that a little bit. You've talked about preventing uh, cognitive uh, caution fatigue setting in, and uh, you give some examples. What are some of the things that people can do? 
Yeah, well, I, you know, I think one of the things um, that's really important to do is to, again, as we talked about before, think with evidence. You know, it's very easy to be emotional reasoners and just, you know, I feel like the threat's not there, therefore mm. it's, it's not or mm. it's less powerful than I think. And I think being evidence-based, thinking facts, not emotions. Mm. And you see examples of that all the time where people, you know, operate based on emotions more than facts. Like, look at the stock market. I mean, people investing are, you know, people are emotional investors often, right? Yeah. And they don't think that when the stock's really low, that's actually the time to buy. But what do people do? They pull their money out. And so I think the same kind of thing with something like COVID-19, in terms of balancing the not being too lax about it, but not being too anxious about it, sort of having a balanced view, you know, one of the things I would recommend is really trying to think with facts, mm. not emotions. Right. So look at the real risk and look at the impact of that risk on other people. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, really helpful. You know, th- I think the reason why... Um, people are you know feel low often is because we've we've created almost a society where we focus on the self and don't really think about the common good mm. or think about things beyond ourselves and you know there's a whole uh, ton of research that's been conducted that has looked at when people are acting for others they are happier people <laughs> so we know for example there's there've been studies where you know uh, that have looked at people's um, who received bonuses at work and those people who use their bonuses for pro-social reasons, like, you know, being altruistic and helping other people and donating to other people um, are actually happier than people who keep the money for themselves. Hmm. There's been experiments where, you know, uh, the research participants are given a certain amount of money and the, the researcher said, you know, you can keep that money for yourself or you can give uh, some of that to the other research participant. but. Hmm you know, that other research participant will only get the amount that you give them. Those people who hung on to the money actually not only were less happy, but they actually showed an increase in shame and stress uh, hormones, cortisol. They showed an increase in stress hormones, (laughs) whereas people who gave that money away were happier people. And we know that even in young as toddlers, you know, there's been studies where they've had young kids giving fish crackers away to a puppet monkey and those kids who gave even their own fish crackers away, you know, they were rated on their emotions and their facial expressions and so on. And, and there was a whole coding system. Those, those toddlers who, you know, gave those fish crackers away uh, were experienced more happiness. We're happier when we think beyond ourselves and when we contribute and give to others. And so I think one way we can really do that during COVID is to think beyond ourselves and, and, you know, act accordingly, act as though we need to protect other people. I remember reading something that, you know, it sort of said, you know, our World War II vets went out and, you know, gave their lives for for us, uh, for our freedom. And, and all we have to do for our freedom is sit on a couch and stay home, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and socially right. distance and wear a mask. And I mean, it's not a it's not a huge ask. When you look at what's been done for sacrifices on our behalf in the past. So, yeah, so giving and thinking beyond ourselves and and really, uh, you know, thinking about the greater good Mm. is, is really important. Nicely said. And I guess the last thing is just to remember that this is temporary. It is. You know, I think it's, as you said, it feels like it's forever ago, even though it was only sort of February, March that we've been dealing with this and and i think it is important to a lot of people talked about uh covid19 and what we're going through is the new normal and i you know 
uh, I've heard psychologists and other people say it's it's not the new normal. It's the temporary normal. Mm. I mean, we you know there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I think with the vaccines and what we're um, fortunately there's good news ahead. We've developed you know the vaccines have been developed quicker than ever. Right, it's amazing. But we do need to stay the course, and I sort of think we need to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but still be careful until we get there. Right. right. Yeah. And so I think that's uh, part of the important messaging. And part of it, too, is, you know, I think we I think our our government and, and other um, people who are producing sort of policy messages, you know, we can learn a lot from other countries. A lot of countries focus on sort of the nudge principle and of behavioral economics, where you're kind of encouraging people in creative ways to comply rather than sort of shaking a stick. It's mm. it's, you know, presenting a carrot. And I think right. that's part of what might be needed as well at this time. Right. Uh, David, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us and, uh, you know, hopefully give some hope to people and and help us remember about what we're dealing with at this time, that it is temporary, even though it, it is going to, has been a while and it's going to be a while longer, but we are going to get through this and there is light, as you said, at the end of the tunnel and it's just going to take some time for us to, to work through this if we all, uh, if we all stick together and just keep those, those things in mind. Yes, my my pleasure. It's uh, it's interesting. My fiance was doing a talk recently, and she had compared COVID nineteen to the uh, the influenza um, back mm. in nineteen eighteen. Yeah, and you know it's interesting that there's you know at that time there were there weren't vaccinations that were right. developed, and there's a lot of hope. You know, a lot less people are are affected, and and they got through that then. And we'll get through this now. That is the voice of David Dozois. He is a PhD and he's a professor and director at a clinical psychology graduate program in the Department of Psychology at the University of Western Ontario. It's been a pleasure talking to him about how to deal with COVID-19 fatigue and his article that he wrote in the conversation, COVID-19 Caution Fatigue, Why It Happens in Three Ways We Can Help Prevent It. And that is this part of the program. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can also catch us on wherever you uh, listen to your favorite podcasts. So uh, wherever your streaming platforms are, please go there and listen to Element FM and Moment of Truth. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Erin Phelan. And uh, she is here to talk to us about some, oh, it's the new year. That means New Year's resolutions. <laughs> so many people have New Year's resolutions. We, You know, we've seen that all over the place. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a co-worker the other day, Erin. And um, and they were saying to me, uh, oh, you know, I see lots of dogs being walked this morning. It was the first day of the new year. And I went, ah, I know why that's happening. It's those New Year's resolutions. Everybody's out there trying to get those walking and exercising uh, things in that they've promised themselves to do. So welcome to the show. Thanks. And you know what? That is a it's there. There are two things that come from that. It's uh, it's 
having a pet actually makes you healthier. A lot of research and data mm. backs that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but walking, you've probably seen that in the news a lot. I'm a, I'm a health and wellness journalist, but I also am a health coach, a personal trainer, a group fitness instructor. In March, I went to a virtual fitness platform. So I teach 11 classes a week. Wow. And I've seen that in my classes this week. I mean, I've got 15 to 20 people on a Zoom class, which mm. is, you know, pretty intense um, because it's, it's intense in a good way. It's, it's fantastic. It's great to see people driven, but here's the interesting thing, David, I've been doing uh, the new year's resolution beat and story for about 20 years. Okay. This 2021 is unlike anything we've ever seen before ever. We had a pre pandemic. We had pretty high inactivity levels in Canada. Yeah. And what we know now is that a third of Canadians are actually moving less than they were before March. Right. Uh, People have put on weight. Yep. Mental health is at crisis tipping points across the country. Yep. And um, my message continually is it takes about 10 minutes to change your brain chemistry. That's it. 10 minutes. Now, what do you mean by that? It. What happens when you exercise at a certain level, and we're talking about uh, going for a walk is fantastic, and we can dive a little bit deeper into that. Mm-hmm. But when we are in the in the exercise world, we talk about zones of intensity, zones of heart rate, mm. and we use a thing called the rate of perceived effort or the rate of perceived exertion, the RPE scale. And that is based out of 10. So a zero is you're sitting on the couch and you're watching Brid- you're binge watching Bridgerton, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a five is you've put on your shoes, you've gone out and you're you're walking. A six is you're walking at a pace that is making the conversation not challenging yet, but right. you're starting to think about whether or not you need to actually just focus on walking or talking. Right. A seven is where you don't really want to talk to the person beside you, but you're able to, right. and it's broken up into sentences at a time. Right. And eight is where we get into that hard, vigorous intensity mm. where you can only say a few words to the person you're walking beside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a nine is where you're walking up that hill and you're almost at that breathless zone. Right. So what we know is that if you get about 10 minutes of moderate to vigorous, so we're talking about seven to 10, that can change your brain because because your brain gets flooded with the same chemicals we have in antidepressants, exactly the same chemicals. Now we're not, I, I will never sit there and say that antidepressant medication can be replaced entirely by exercise because that every single person is, is completely different. Sure. What we know and what I know from doing research and stories with, uh, with psychiatrists and psychologists and the younger ones, this is a very interesting angle is that many of the younger psychiatrists and psychologists will only take you on as a patient. Now, if you've started to try to exercise first, Hmm. because they know how much it can actually change your life. Right. Last year I did a interview with a researcher at McMaster and I always thought it was a daily dose. Like you had to get exercise every single day to change your brain chemistry. Right. No, that's not it. Hmm. It's actually three 30 minute doses over the whole week wow. can be as effective as antidepressant medication. Wow. But here's the thing. If anyone is on this, sh- is listening to this show right now and they are entirely sedentary, mm-hmm. entirely sedentary. Yes. That can sound like pops and buzzers. 
right? Right. Because people know they need to exercise, right? Yeah. People know sure. that exercise is good for them. This yep. is not a groundbreaking story. True enough. So the reason I dial it back to why 2021 is so different, why resolutions are so different, why goals are so different, is you've got to find out what is going to work for you. And that's why walking almost every single exercise scientist will sit there and encourage walking as a starting point. But then we want you to also include strength training for osteoporosis, for arthritis, for brain health. We want you to include flexibility and mobility training. We want to bring you into the world of exercise and then we want to dial up how much you're doing. Hmm. You have to find your why. W-H-Y. Mm. You have to find your why. Okay. And I say this, I mean, I teach very, I, I teach a breadth of classes, but I teach indoor cycling. I teach metabolic conditioning. Many of my members who are part of my fit fam, my Aaron Fail and fit fam, which mm-hmm. I teach, you know, privately on zoom and on Instagram. Many of my members are very fit people, but I also have people who are just coming back because sure. anyone who's worth their weight in the fitness world will know how to progress and modify exercises for their participants. Mm. But I say to anyone, whether they've been sedentary or they've run a marathon within the last five years, you got to find your why, Mm. why are you doing this? So if you are someone who is, let's say 60 years old and you have been struggling with weight and obesity almost your whole lives, your why might be that you want to save your knees. Mm. Right? right? Your why might be you want to be around and watch your grandchildren grow up. Mm-hmm. Your why has to be front and center because that, you know, even the most motivated people in the world, and I consider myself one of them, mm-hmm. we have a hard time with intrinsic motivation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there is intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, external motivation. And so that external motivation can sometimes be like, I want to look good at my reunion, right? And a lot of those external factors of what were motivating us, whether it was a walking race you wanted to take part of or looking good at a wedding, a lot of those things went away in the last year. Mm. So that's something that I noticed a lot. Um, And when I was looking at, because we've always had in the fitness world, honestly, David, we've always had a problem with this, with how we get someone in January and keep them past March. Right. Because what we would find is exactly what you said. People are gung ho. They want everything to change. They want it all to happen now. And it's, that is, that's human nature, right? Like we want to snap our fingers and lose 20 pounds. (laughs) It, it doesn't work like that. Right. A healthy weight loss goal for anyone is one to two pounds a week done steadily by yeah. making small, modifiable changes, right? Yep. yep. You know, to you, me, and... Go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Um, to me, you'll, you'll, you will get different health coaches telling you that, that it, you know, exercise is, is vitally important, but you can't outrun a bad diet, right? You've probably heard that expression, (laughs) that it really is what's on the plate. Mm. I am a very different breed of health coach. I believe it starts with movement Mm. because when you move, when you exercise, you make smarter choices about how you fuel your body. When exercise becomes the fundamental habit, you think about nutrition. You think about whether or not you want to go to that drive through. Mm right? And you want to buy that 
processed, ultra processed fatty foods at the grocery store. You start learning how to shop the perimeters of the grocery store more. You start reading blogs about about healthier living and healthier eating. Mm. But that shift doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. That yep. And that shift ultimately starts with the why. I will tell you this, David. Yep. One of my one of my roles, and it's it's something that I, I'm super excited about, is I'm I'm the communication strategist for a company called Live Well Exercise Clinics. Okay. And they're based out of BC, but they've got clinics in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. And they're clinics for people with chronic conditions, with health concerns. So many of our members are have been prescribed exercise. I have interviewed more people in the last six months who literally came into the clinic at 400 pounds and thought that they were going to have a heart attack. And those people have formed an exercise habit. Mm. So if someone who literally was at their last stages of health can do it, anyone can do it. Right. It just becomes, and it's not about willpower. Willpower does not work. Anyone who goes, starts a fitness regime in January with the notion that if they just have enough willpower, it will stick, will fail by March. Really? 10 times out of 10. Willpower does not work. So what is the thing that keeps it going then? What is that? I will tell you this. When anyone starts one of my fitness classes, and it's the same thing at Live Well, when anyone starts anything, we sit there and say, don't think about it now. Think about how you feel afterwards. Think about the wins. Think about the gains. And I get people to very much check in with their brain at the beginning of a class with me and then check in with their brain at the end of a class. And I have never had anyone who does any of my classes in the last you know, 20 years not feel different after they've gotten their heart rate up, had their brain be flooded with dopamine. Right. Had their brain be flooded with endorphins. And it's not that it lasts for a really long time. But I mean, David, I don't know if you exercise, but you you will know this. You get your heart rate up. You get sweaty. You move for 10, 15 minutes. You put on some good music. Everything changes. Hmm. Everything changes. And when you get through something that is hard, the changes are even greater. So yeah. it's it's. Like lifting weights, right? Let's use the analogy of lifting weights. We know that strength training is essential as a part of a a fitness program. Mm -hmm. Uh, It changes your body mass. It changes your your fat fat to muscle mass ratio within Mm -hmm. your body. So it means that you burn more calories when you're sitting at rest. You look better. You feel stronger. You're able to bend down and pick something up off the floor again. Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't start with going to the gym, getting the squat rack on your shoulders and lowering down into a big loaded squat. You know what it starts with? It starts with a wall set. Mm. It starts with like placing your shoulder blades up against the wall, walking your feet out so your knees and your hips are parallel and your thighs are are parallel with the floor and holding that for 10 seconds and then walking in again. Mm. That's the exact same movement as a squat, as a loaded squat. Mm. Find that I find that people become very overwhelmed in January, not only by what's in front of them, the daunting task of getting in shape, mm-hmm. but also by choice. Right. And and the pandemic has actually made choice even greater, right? Like you can literally fire up your phone, you can do Peloton, you can do Beach Body, you can do any of the small boutique gyms in, in Toronto and Canada. Throughout the country, you can right. do something with me, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. so much choice out there right right now. So we dial it back into 
find your why. And what I like to tell anyone who comes to me as a client is, what did you love doing when you were a kid? Right. What did you really love doing? Did you love getting on your bike and going off in your neighborhood and then seeing that big hill and trying to to get to the top of that hill without getting off and walking your bike up the hill? Was that something that you, when you think back to your childhood, you're like, oh, I love that. Well, you know what? Get a bike. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get a $3,000 bike. Get a stationary bike. Start there. Right. If you loved track and field, you know what? Do a walk to running program. And a walk to running program is really simple. Set a clock for 10 minutes. First time out, walk for nine of the minutes and try to pick it up, pick up to a run for one of the minutes. Next time out, do that again. And then gradually add two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, progression. That's how you're going to be on your goals, in your lane, in your program by the time you hit March and April. Some great advice there. Aaron, really nice. We're going to come back to that in a moment. I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day. You can also listen to Element FM interviews and conversations on any of your favorite podcast streaming sites as well. Erin Fellon is my guest, and she's a Toronto-based fitness and wellness expert, and she has been giving us some great advice in terms of this new year. Of course, with uh, it being January, everyone wants to try to get those New Year's resolutions about getting fit once again. And, you know, Erin, I really liked what you said about how to change that thinking about don't think about how you feel now or as you're doing the exercise, wait till you finish and think about it afterwards and finding the why and how that is so important and not not real and realizing that it's not just willpower that is going to carry you through in terms of the long term of getting uh, you into a fitness uh, program that you're going to stick with over the long term. You know, it's really interesting because as you were talking, I couldn't help but think about my own experience in the last year. You know, I was uh, I, I was commuting and that meant bus, that meant train, etc. and walking. I, I like to walk. I love to jog. I've always loved that. I love swimming. I, I was very, very always outdoorsy when I was younger and I've always enjoyed that. And I really, uh, you know, when I started this job a couple of years ago, I was really excited because I went, this is great. I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, walk about 10, 15 minutes in each direction uh, from office back to the train station. And I thought this is going to be great. And, and, and I'm a, one of those people that enjoy those fast walking moments that you're talking about where it's difficult yeah. to talk. I, I love because I'm going, I know I'm working and I know my body's working and I'm burning some, some calories. So, um, but after a year, you know, when I first started this, I thought, I, this is great. I'm going to, I'm going to burn some, some, I'm going to lose some weight. But after a year, I hadn't lost any weight. And when I, what I went to my doctors and I said, I don't get this, you know, I've been working, I'm sweating, I'm exercising. And he says, for how long? And I said, about 15 minutes. Yeah. He says, that's not going to help you. He says, it's really good for you, of course, from a cardio perspective, yeah. but you have to go longer than 15 minutes. And I went, no yeah. way. But anyway, uh, the point is that I really love doing that. And 
now I'm not, you know, since the pandemic, I haven't gotten that. And I had also started a new, uh, you know, I started, I, I started working with the app to uh, look at the food I was eating and change that. I had dropped about 12 pounds. It was great. I felt great. It was wonderful. You know, I was going to the gym when I could and, and getting that exercise, getting the weight training in as well, doing all of that stuff. And you're right. I find now it's more difficult to do it just to just even go out for a walk. Yes, I've got a pet. Yeah. I take the dog out for a pet, but I can't do that. You know, that really motivated walking when I have my pet with me. He wants to, you know, she wants to sniff things, and slow down and just stroll. Right. So it, it's really interesting about all the things that you pointed out there. Well, it's it, it was interesting because part of my job with Live Well is that daily I sort of I, I take a look at the news and then I, I, I pitch that. I pitch my my CEO, Sarah Hodson, out to experts. And, and, and it's interesting because I'm an expert. She's an expert. But I, our view is like exercise is medicine. Right. Mm. And so we're working together to bring this message to Canadians. So one piece of research this is going to I want everyone to take a deep breath when I say what I'm going to say. Next. <laughs> take a nice deep breath in. So the WHO released act, physical activity guidelines in December. Everyone take another deep breath. <laughs> And what we had always been saying, David, was 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise. So we talked about those Mm. ones, right? Mm -hmm. So it's great to go for a walk. Any activity is good. Walks outside also fill your brain with vitamin D. Walks in nature. A lot of research and data supports the fact that exercising in nature is even better for your health from Mm -hmm. a new perspective. Love it. Um, But the WHO, it was like, the worst news in the world. They're like... We said 150 minutes, but it's really 150 to 300 minutes. Mm. So there, the World Health Organization, their guidelines changed. Mm. And for weight loss, right. they're saying it should be closer to the 300 minute range. Mm. So from a community, like not even from a, a health and wellness, like I'm a coach and I want to get you doing my classes and working with me. But from a larger, big picture scale, that story came up and I thought, that is not the news we need to end mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. right? Because someone who's in, inactive is going to hear 300, and someone who is obese, especially, right. Right. is going to hear 300 minutes and they're going to put their hands up and go, I'm done. Right. Like, I can't even do 10 right. a day. So how yeah. do I get to 300? Yeah. And the thing that I love, and I did not create this, this is, came from Live Well. Their whole motto, motto is um, slow and low. Like you start low, you go slow, and you build, which right. is that whole concept of progression, right? right? And again, if you get a win after 10 minutes, if you have that little aha moment in your brain that your body feels good, that it might be sore the next day, but it feels good. Mm. Honestly, David, you and I both know you're going to chase that feeling again. Mm. Mm-hmm. You really will. Yep. And what it comes down to, and this is something I've been saying to my Fit Fam, and we've been repeating this message across the board this this month, is consistency. Mm. If I can give anyone a tip for this year, it's consistency. Mm. It doesn't mean you're going to hit that goal every single day. Life happens, right? right? Sure. But just because you have a day or two where you're inactive doesn't mean that the whole week is done. Right. 
when there were some researchers at Queen's University, uh, it was a story I did a few years ago. So I used to write a fair bit for Best Health Magazine and Reader's Digest. And I did a couple of pieces on exercise as medicine, both from a physical and from a, a mental health perspective. And so we know 150 minutes can help prevent chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes, hypertension, many types of cancer, heart disease. We have, we have all of these chronic conditions that are still killing Canadians above and beyond COVID, right? Mm. COVID drove into town last January, right? Mm. And then it took over the town in March. Mm -hmm. And that's the only story we've heard, right? Mm -hmm. Is COVID. Yeah. Meanwhile, type two diabetes is on the rise globally. Mm. Physical inactivity, according to the Lancet, which is the world's leading medical journal, physical inactivity is the fourth leading cause of death worldwide. Hmm. heart disease kills more women in Canada than COVID. Hmm. And what can you do to prevent all of those? You can exercise. <laughs> and as much as food is absolutely important, like you were saying, you went to your doctor and he was like, and you're like, well, you know, I've done this and I've done that. You do have to tweak your diet. You absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. And we do know from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint there is nothing new. Don't the biggest advice I'm going to give you to move away from exercise for a second and talk about nutrition yeah. is don't believe that, you know, fine. Keto works for many people. I have many of my clients who've done keto. They dropped a lot of weight from keto. Great. Paleo works for many people. Again, that whole, like you got to find what works for you, mm -hmm. but what we know works for your heart health and for physical health, Above and beyond is quite simply the Mediterranean diet, mm -hmm. the Mark Britton approach, the 80. You're, you have to embrace plant-based eating. Your diet has to be 80 to 90% plant-based, tons of fresh fruit, raw fruit, raw fruit and vegetables. Last year, a really interesting study came out from New Zealand that showed the three factors that contributed to longevity in this small study. It wasn't even that small a study. The three factors were sleep, and we haven't talked about that yet, right. eating a lot of fresh fruit and, and vegetables, and exercise. Mm. So we want, I think sometimes want it to be more complex than it is. We want to sign up for the expensive program. We want to do the expensive app. And definitely investing in something does make you a little bit more accountable. But I've got to ask you this, David, and how many of your listeners, how many of your listeners um, saw for years money being taken out of their account from a gym they joined that they never went to. <laughs> there was a really fantastic ad that was done by a, a fitness app in Scandinavia. You might have seen it going around. And it, it went viral, this, this advertising before Christmas. And it was this grandfather doing kettlebell lifting. Mm. And we shared it at Live Well because mm. it was beautiful and it was heartwarming. So throughout the whole advertisement, like people are coming by his house and neighbors are looking into him and he's doing these squats and then he's picking up these kettlebells. And everyone's like, what is this guy doing? And the very last scene is he walks into a house at Christmas and his granddaughter runs towards him and he lifts her up so she can put the star on the tree. <laughs> All right. That's his why. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And again, someone who's listening, who let's say you've got like someone who's been sitting at their desk and something else when you were talking about, I was listening to you talk about that commute. Mm -hmm. One thing your listeners also have to listen, think about is we had another concept in exercise called NEAT, which is based 
basically the small micro movements you would do throughout your day. So you're at the office, right? Mm -hmm. There's a meeting. You walk down the hall to go to the meeting. You decide 10 minutes before the meeting, you want to go down and get a coffee, right? Right. All of those small little movements add up to a lot of activity throughout the day. Yep. That's all gone away. Yep. So you have to artificially put that in to your work day. I already have one of my members on the Aaron Fail and Fit Fam who I, on Fridays, I teach a class called Flow, which is very similar to yoga. Mm -hmm. And we did the class today and right afterwards she said, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much I needed that. I've been literally sitting at my desk Mm -hmm. all week. Mm -hmm. Right? And many of the people who are listening right now, they're in the same boat. Right. So it's not so much your watch reminding you to stand up though that is a good thing Mm -hmm. it's that you've got to sit there and every hour and go right i've got to get up and i've got to move for five to ten minutes right so i'm going to give you 10 ideas right now you're standing at your desk and i want you to do them with me so you're going to stand sit at your desk you're going to stand up and you're not going to sit down you're just going to have your glutes touch the chair and get up again touch the chair and get up again right just touch the chair and get up again Touch the chair and get up again. I want you to now drive through your whole foot as you do it. So as you push your foot into the ground, I want you to notice what happens to your glutes, your butt. When you're pushing that foot into your ground, into the ground, I've got one more. I've done 10 here. We're on radio, so you can't see me and sit down. 10 seated to standing squats is going to get your heart rate up for 30 seconds. And then you're going to stand up from your chair and you're going to just step touch to the side, just like a little dance move. Mm. So you're going to go eight, seven, six, and then you're going to jog on the spot. Just doing a few things like that. It might seem silly, David, but it's not like even those 10 squats. I'm in really good shape. I did those 10 seated squats Mm. and even I felt my heart rate. I started to sweat just from that. Right. Listen, no. why don't we, uh, why, it would be great to have you back on again. How don't we, how, why don't we plan to get you back on, say around March? How about March? I would love that. I would love so that. that. We Let's can, do it. Yeah, we can follow up with this and and uh, and see how people are doing, what you're hearing about people that have made those uh, the challenges for themselves for the new year and see how things are going. Um, yeah, it, it would. it's so important that we stay active. I would love to talk to you about weight and how weight affects, you know, you talked about the joints earlier. So that's yeah. another thing we can talk about. I'd like to talk about what is that, is it just normal wear and tear that, that happens to our joints or how much does weight affect those things in terms of putting uh, our knees out and, and, and putting that extra stress on our bodies as well. Maybe that's a why for somebody, you know? Um, that, should, that should definitely be a why for somebody. I, I will tell you this as a parting thing and this, is kind of like a because let's I am I'm known as the positivity person a mm. lot of my students in my classes because I'm very positive and you mm-hmm. get a dose of positivity along right. with exercise right the positive story that came out of the p- pandemic is do you know the one demographic that actually mo- started moving more seniors mm. last year in the pandemic there's a couple of reasons right many of them are retired right so they they have more time to move than those of us who have full-time careers mm. but you know what? I, I'm not even going to give anyone a hall pass of having a full-time career and not having the time to move. Right. <laughs> because in my in my fit fam, I have people who are vice presidents of companies sure. who are corporate lawyers, and they make time. It's yep. about making time. Yep. Yep. It's about making it a priority. And fundamentally, it's it also becomes not only do you want to live a longer life, do you want to live a better life? Yep. 
That's what, that's what, that's what exercise does for you. It allows you to live a better life. Aaron, just before we go, could you please uh, let people know if they would like to get a hold of you, how can they contact you? Well, they can get in touch with me. My website is uh, my name. So it's uh, AaronFalen.com. You can book any class. So you can just drop into any of my classes anytime. You get sent the Zoom link. They're $10 a class. And then I have a membership for unlimited classes monthly, which is $75 a month, much Mm -hmm. cheaper than most gym memberships. Mm -hmm. And uh, they can also reach out to me. They can join my newsletter. I send a newsletter out once a week that has the top news stories that I saw during the week. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, they can just go right to my website. There's recipes on my website. There's some workouts on my website as well. So yeah, just come over to AaronFalen.com. Drop me a line, send me a hi, and you can just email me, Aaron at AaronFalen.com. Cool. Now that's Aaron, E-R-I-N-P-H-E-L-A-N, correct? Yes. E-R-I-N-P-H-E-L-A-N.com. Very simple. All right. Aaron, a pleasure speaking with you. Look forward to contacting you and having you back on the show in March. And let's continue this going. Let's get people active. It's something positive that everybody can do and should be doing for themselves uh, as we deal with uh, this new 2021 year, as well as the continuing situation we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 situation. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Fabulous, David. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Erin Phelan. You heard her say she, you can get a hold of her at erinphelan.com. That is E-R-I-N-P-H-E-L-A-N.com. Pleasure speaking with her. She is a Toronto-based fitness and wellness expert. That's this part of the show, and we appreciate you listening to us each and every day right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. This, we'll see you again tomorrow right here on the show. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.